If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 17 this morning, and we are going to finish out this chapter. Paul, last week, when we looked at the text there, he, he gave us some instruction on how we are the body and how we function together as the body of Christ and how God has called us with various gifts so that we can build up the body. That the gifts that we have and, and whatever gift you have been given is, is not for your own benefit, it may be something that you like having. It may be something that you enjoy. I, I think it's a, a great thing when the gift that God has given us is something that we enjoy doing. Now, unfortunately, sometimes the gift we've been given is not something we enjoy doing, but something that is necessary and beneficial. But regardless of all of that, God has given us these gifts for the upbuilding of His kingdom to prepare the body of Christ for the ministry that Christ has set out for us. Well, today, as we look further into this chapter, Paul begins to talk to us about the new life that we have in Christ. This new life that we have been given because God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus, this new life prepares us to be the body. It prepares us to do all the things that God has called us to in the work of the ministry. And this new life is in stark contrast, frankly, to the old life. And it's interesting to note that, that Paul makes a big deal about this often. That there's not just one place where he talks about our lives being transformed into something different. I think he does that because if, if you only hit on it once, we might not think it's that important. But the sad reality is that we as believers are prone to think that our lives don't have to be that different. We want to think that our lives are. We, we look at someone else and we go, okay, you know, I'm better than they are. But we often fail to truly realize the transformative power that God, when He sends Christ into our life, when the Holy Spirit dwells within us, how different we're going to look. So let's begin reading in verse 17. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me this morning in reverence to the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, 
to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. That is, it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You may be seated. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He wants to begin, and, and I think Paul almost always does this. He wants to give the contrast. And I think when we fail to realize the contrast, then we fail to realize what God has done for us in Christ. If we buy into the popular psychology and the popular psychiatry of the day that, that somehow we're all at our core good people, then what we don't see is how far God has brought us. If we think we're basically okay and, and pretty good, then it's not really that far for God to bring us into His kingdom. But Paul wants to begin by giving this contrast. This is where you once were, and this is where God has brought you. Look first at the three things that he says that the Gentiles do, or that the lost people do, that those who don't know God do, look what he says about them and how they exist. He says, first, no longer walks as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. What he means there is that the secular notion, the lost notion, is that what we can depend on what it is that we can reason. The trust is put in their mind. And Paul says that their minds, it's futile. It's futile for them to put all of their hope in what their mind can accomplish. If we think about it, the human mind is an amazing thing. As well it should be, God has made us in His image. But look what we were able to create. If you go somewhere like New York City and you see these skyscrapers that tower above, uh, that tower above the skyline. If you go out to the Midwest and you visit somewhere like Mount Rushmore, to me, it's an amazing thing to think that someone took pictures of men and carved them with such detail into the side of a mountain. 
We think about the fact that we can get on airplanes and we can fly all around the world. We think about the fact that we have, and not recently where we have all this amazing technology, but, but several decades ago we were able to launch men on the front of a rocket into outer space and those men went and landed on the moon. That's assuming you believe that happened. And I do, maybe you don't, but let's say it happened. And if it happened, it's a pretty amazing thing. So there seems to be some foundational idea for actually putting our faith in our mind. I mean, I, I think about the fact that just this week when my mother had her surgery, the doctor was able to go in with very small incisions and and remove a tumor that was there ingrained in her lung. Can you imagine the fact that they can go in with a camera and a small knife and, and do that with such detail? To me, it's an amazing thing, and it, it came out of someone's mind. But Paul cautions them that when they were lost, when they did not know Christ, that is the only place they could put their hope was in their mind. He says that's not the place we want to put it. Secondly here, he says in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They are darkened in their understanding. Why can these Gentiles not understand who God is? Why can they not understand what God has done? Why have they not placed their faith and trust in God? Why have they not done that? It's because they're darkened. Their understanding is darkened. If you go to the Gospel of John, you will find a constant contrast between light and darkness. That we are children of light. We are not a part of the kingdom of darkness. Things that are sinful are done in the darkness, but God operates in the light. They have no relationship with God. They have no understanding of God because their minds are darkened. The light has not shone into their life. And when the light shines into our life, it changes our life and it changes who we are and what we do. But he says, as, as the Gentiles, that, does, that doesn't happen. What does the darkness do? Look at the second part of verse 18. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Ignorance here is not a bad word. It has to do with the lack of understanding. I always think of ignorance as one of those words that you can throw out at somebody and it's kind of cutting them down, but it's, it's a nice way of doing it. They don't often feel that way and they retaliate, but you know, you're, you're just ignorant of that. Well, the sad part is that when we were lost, we were ignorant of the life of God. Again, here's another one of those words. We've got darkness and light. Now we've got life and death. Jesus is presented as the life. And here, these Gentiles who do not know God are alienated from God. They're alienated from His life. That doesn't really sound like the place we want to be. Alienated is, is being pushed away from. It's being outside the the life of. It's being outside the presence of. And that's where the Gentiles are. And then thirdly, look in verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, 
greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Their minds are futile. Their understanding is darkened. And because of that, they've just become callous. Have you ever met anyone who has just become callous to everything around them? They just don't care anymore. They, they've went through so much, they've dealt with so much, they've had so much heartache or so many trials that they just they don't care anymore. I have people like that in my family. You probably do as well. You know people like this. Their, their life experiences are so bad that, that they're just numb. Paul says that's what happens. When they rely on the futility of their mind and it doesn't work out, they, they, they don't find hope in their mind. Their understanding becomes dark, and then they are callous to the things of God. They are callous to the world around them. And look, look what he says happens when they become callous. They give in to everything. He says they give in to, they practice every kind of impurity. They give themselves up to sensuality. Greedy, he says, to practice every kind of impurity. Once you become callous, you don't care anymore. You know, I, I think I remember seeing this happen uh, too often with teenagers. Teenagers who have gone through so much stuff. They've dealt with so much with their parents, with their friends, with their siblings, whatever it was, they've dealt with so much that they become cold to everything around them. And then psychology says, well, they begin acting out. They begin doing drugs or having sex. And, and so they're just, they're acting out. What the Bible has said is their minds are darkened. They're calloused to everything around them. And the natural outflow of that is to just give in. Just to give in to the sensuality, give in to every kind of impurity because it, it feeds the moment. It takes care of the moment. It fulfills a need in the moment. Paul tells them that is not how we walk as believers. And yet the sad commentary is that if you began to explore the lives of many Christians, you would begin to find these things present because there is still a grasping at the darkness. Paul says that should not be. He says rather we should put into place what we have learned in Christ. Look beginning in verse 20. He says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Did you learn about Jesus, going back into what he said, did you learn about Jesus in the futility of your mind? No. It wasn't our mind that taught us about Jesus. It wasn't our mind, it wasn't the futile mind, this fallen mind that we have that made Jesus known to us. Did we learn about Jesus in our darkened understanding? Didn't happen. As a matter of fact, the complete opposite. We learned about Christ when our mind was transferred by Christ into, into the domain of light, into the kingdom of light. Did we learn about Jesus when we were calloused and hard and giving up into everything else? No, it's when God took the heart of stone that we had and He made it into a heart of flesh. So the worldly ways is not how we learned about Christ. So look how we learned. Look what we learned. 
assuming that you had heard about him, verse 21, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So here's what you learn first. To put off the old self, put off the old self, which belongs to your former members manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. We have to realize that there is an old us, an old way of doing things, and we have to put it off. We have to put it aside. We have to get rid of it. Friends, I think that is the hardest thing for some people to understand in coming to Christ, that there is an old way, and that way has to die. It cannot be allowed to live. And yet, so often, not only do we want it to live, but we want to go visit the old self, we want to feed the old self, we want to encourage the old self, we want to make sure he's doing all right, we want to take him with us wherever we go, we want to be buddies with him again. Paul says, what you learn through Christ is to put off this old self. The priorities of the old self do not matter anymore. The things that we did with the old self do not matter anymore. They're not important. They're not our priority. We do away with them. Secondly, look. Verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Think about that. In the beginning, he, he said our mind is futile. It, it's not going to work. It, it's... it's, it's it's not going to get us where we want to go. It's not going to get us where God wants us to go. And here he says that our mind is renewed. How? By the Spirit. In the Spirit of your minds. There is a renewal that takes place. If you think about it, it's very appropriate that he would call it a renewal. Because at our core, we need to understand that while our hearts are wicked, while our hearts are sinful, God created us in His image. So we have to have a renewal. Christ is remaking us into His image. Christ is working in our heart and in our life because one day when we get to be with Him, one day when we dwell with the Father forever... We're going to be what He originally intended us to be. Yes, we are a new creation. Yes, all things have become new. But we are still people who God has made in His image. He still loves us very much. And so what He is doing is transforming us and making us back into that person that we were created to be. That's what He's doing in our heart. That's what He's doing in our mind. And that brings us to the third thing he says here, verse 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The old has passed away. He is renewing our lives. He is renewing our mind. And he is putting on the new self. And what is the new self? It's not, look, it's not a 12-step program. It's not a make-yourself-better thing. It's not an attempt to be a better person. He says, the new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Friends, that is better, infinitely better, eternally better 
than anything you and I will ever do for ourselves. There are plenty of people out there in the world who are genuinely terrible people, and they go through some type of transformation. They get, you know, they get to working on their life, and they kick the bad habits that they were doing, and they look to be better people. But the reality is that the only way we are considered better, the only way God looks at us and He declares us righteous, is in Him. It's through His power and His work transforming our heart and our lives. We will accomplish this no other way. But when He does this, when He renews our mind, when we put off the old self and put on the new self, we will begin to look like God. Now notice, we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. I didn't say we become gods. We're not Mormons. But we do begin to look like Him. So when the world looks at us, when they see what we are doing as people, when they see what we are doing as a church, they go, those are people who are following after God. Because we begin to reflect Him and His likeness and His image. Now Paul closes out this section and he gives us eight specific things here that are the results of this renewal. You know, there are a lot of times in life when we have questions. We have questions about what God is doing. We have questions about what God has done in our life. Sometimes you and I, when we hear things like this, and we understand that we are still fighting with the old self, that He comes every day and He wants to hang out with us. He wants to go with us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to lead us places that we don't need to go. When that happens, I think we struggle. What has God done? What are the results? What does it look like when God renews our heart and our mind and our life? He gives us eight things here. Verse 25. First result of the renewal. He says, we will speak truth with our neighbor. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Death to the old self is falsehood. The old self is a liar. The old self is not truthful. He is not trustworthy. When we put him to death, when we put away falsehood, then we begin to speak truth with our neighbor. Now, Jesus said what? Jesus told us that everyone is our neighbor. We become people of truth because we are members of one another. It is important that we speak the truth, that we share the truth, that we are engaged in the truth. It's a result of the renewal. The old self is false. The new self speaks the truth. Next, verses 26 and 27. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Friends, the old self is angry. But good news, the new self can be angry. But the new self gets angry about different things. The new self's anger is put into different priority. And at the same time, he says, be angry and do not sin. The problem with us is, most often, when we get angry, 
sin follows. Very often we get angry about things that we have no reason to get angry for. Anger is normally a root of many kinds of sin. I'll give you an example, and it's about the best one I can think about. There is nothing more angry, nothing that gets me more angry than some of the debates that we've seen on TV recently about what life is and what life isn't. That somehow we as a nation are, are descending into chaos if we ban abortions at 20 weeks. Friends, that makes me angry. You want to see me angry? Take the other side of that and push it on me. God is a God of life. But, so many people who also take the same view that I do, they take it too far. They want to do things like blow up clinics. They want to do things like spit on people. They want to do things like demean people. We're not given that luxury. God has not given us that ability. He has told us that we can be angry, but we must not sin. Why? There's two reasons there. One, if the sun goes down on our anger, it is something that becomes more permanent. It's something that hardens our heart. When we are angry with one another and we do not take care of it, it is something that will continue to snowball. And look what happens. He says the devil is able to use that. He says in verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. You go back to what I was talking about in the debate about life. How sad it is that the devil has been able to push that agenda forward on the anger of Christians. It's not something that was stopped. It's not something that's been put down as it should have been. But no, it continues because what happens? Every time it becomes a debate, Christians act stupidly. And then we look like bigots. And morons. Friends, we should be angry about sin. We should be angry about injustice. But if we fall into sin in our anger, the devil will use it. And he will use it in a mighty way. He will use it in your personal relationships. He will use it in the life of this church. He will use it across our nation to destroy the witness of believers when we act in anger and then fall into sin. Now friends, when we are angry and we sin not, then we stand boldly on principles that God has given us. And there are myriads and myriads of things that we should stand on. But when we fall into sin, trust me, it ruins our witness and the devil will be at work. Number three, he says in verse 28, do honest work. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The old self was prone to steal. The old self would do it in a heartbeat. The new self puts it to death. And he's not just talking about here about someone who is a a professional thief who breaks in. But he says plainly, let no one steal. All of our work as believers should be honest. We should be honest about what we do. And he says if we do that, 
We go from being someone who steals, someone who takes away from others, to what are we doing here at the end of this verse? We are actually giving away, sharing with anyone in need. Look at the contrast here. Do you think thieves are charitable? Do thieves typically give 10% to their church? Do thieves support orphans and widows? No, that's not what happens. They're, they're not generous thieves. But when we are working honestly, then we have put away things and stored up things so that we can help others who are in need. Fourthly, he says in verse 29, Use uplifting words. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Uplifting words have a great effect on people. There have been many times when I have been down and nearly depressed, and yet the words of someone who encouraged build up. The old self, the lost self, we say things that tear people down. We say things that ruin people's lives. We say things that make fun of others for things going on in their life. But the new self builds up. The new self is saying things that encourage people and lift people up. Now, he says as the occasion allows here, because there are times when we have to speak into people's lives, we have to say things that are firm, we have to say things that are sometimes hard to hear. But it doesn't mean that we have to do them in such a way as to tear people down. Because we are called to encourage one another. You, this, this particular passage here, to me, is often the most telling about where someone's heart is. I find it very hard to believe that someone is a believer in Christ when everything that they say is corrupting talk. When everything that they say tears someone down, I just, I just have trouble believing that they know the same God I do. Who even when he was saying the harshest things to some of the people who hated him most, he still said it in a manner that was worthy of the position that he was in as the Son of God. He did not tear people down even when he was having to speak directly to them. Next, verse 30, Do not grieve the Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This one makes pretty good sense, right? The Spirit of God that dwells within you is saving you for the day when you will be with Him forever. Why would you want to grieve the very one who has offered you life? Do not grieve the Spirit. Verse 31, put aside things that destroy relationships. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Are these not the very things that destroy relationships? If you think back before you knew Christ, when we were lost in sin, the reality is that we didn't care. You know, you may say, well, I was saved as a child. I can't really think about it. Let me promise you this. When you are lost, relationships are just not that important to you. 
If we get deep down and honest, what we find is that we are wanting something out of those relationships. And so we don't have a problem doing these things. We don't have a problem letting these things filter into our relationships. He says, put them aside. Two more in verse 32. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Be kind to one another. If we can't be kind to each other, we're never going to be what God has intended. The old self did not show kindness. The old self does not show compassion. But it's the hallmark of the new self. And then thirdly, or lastly here, eighthly, I guess it would be, Forgive as you were forgiven. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you do not have the ability to forgive other people, you have not put on the new self. Think about that for a minute. If you have no capacity to forgive other people, you have not put on the new self. Because the, the only way to have the new self, the only way to have new life in Christ, is to have been forgiven. And we are called to forgive much. Because, trust me this, much has been forgiven of us. The person in life, and you've heard me say this before, but the person in life who has wronged you most does not even come close to having wronged you as much as you have wronged God. God is perfect and holy, and no one else in this room is. God created everything that is, and none of us did. We have sinned greatly against God. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. And yet He has looked down at us and offered us forgiveness in Christ. He has looked down upon our sin and offered us forgiveness in Jesus. And so He calls us to forgive. And if we do not have that capacity, if we do not have the ability to forgive when people wrong us in small ways and when people wrong us in great ways, then we have not yet put on the new self that is offered to us in Christ. This morning I want you to understand that our lives are called to be different. Whether it's forgiveness, whether it's kindness, whether it's putting aside malice and hate, we are called to be different. And we cannot continue to be where we once were. Our minds are no longer darkened, but rather our minds have seen the light. Not only have our minds seen the light, but our heart has been infested with the light. It covers everything that we are. It should consume our mind and our thoughts and our time. But that means that there's got to be a change. It means there's got to be a difference in the way that we live. Friends, if you're here this morning and you, you see the old self over there, and he's fun to go visit, 
you pick him up every now and then and then and you take him with you. You you know, obviously you don't bring him in here today. I mean, this is church, but but there's times when he's there and and you you want to go and visit. Let me encourage you that today what God wants is for us to not not leave him sitting over here and available to us, but but God wants us to, to send him away. He wants us to put him to death. He should not be there and available to us anymore. But we are running toward the light. We are running toward the marvelous light of the kingdom of God. There is a space in our heart, and we will either fill it with the old self, or we will fill it with the Spirit of God. Christ will dwell within us and live forever. But we can't have it both ways. That tension is going to be there because it's going to fight against us and, and we're going to put him to death and he's going to try to get back up again and we're going to put him to death and he's going to try to get back up again. But we are focused on Christ. We're dwelling on him as the source of our salvation. Friends, this morning, if you're struggling with that, don't cry out to me. Don't cry out to the person beside you. But cry out to the Christ who has saved us. The one who has given us life. He stands there today pleading with you. Pleading with you to know Him and love Him and trust Him. Friends, that's where we're at. That's where we're at as people. If we're going to be who God has called us to be, if we're going to be what God has called us to be, we will set aside the old self and we will put on the new. And Christ calls us to do that today. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, I, God, I'm thankful that we have, we have hope. We have peace and we have grace in you. God, I'm thankful that we we don't have to try on our own. God, because when we do, we're going to struggle and we're going to fail and we're going to fall and God, it takes us knowing that we need you. Lord God, I pray that this morning that each person here is searching their heart in their life, and they see those places where the old self creeps in and creeps up. And God, I pray that you help us put him to death this morning. God, we want to be different. God, we want to be a witness in this community and around this world for you, and that requires us to be different. It requires us to have minds that are renewed by the Spirit. It, it requires us to have an understanding that has been enlightened, God, that has put off the darkness and has, has seen your light. God, it takes us having hearts that are not calloused and hard and given over to, God, the sensuality, God, and the impurity, but, God, rather hearts that have been softened. Hearts that welcome you in. And, God, hearts that dwell on you. And Lord God, I want to pray this morning that that would be every heart in this room as I pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would this morning. Uh, we're going to sing uh, a song. And as we are, I want to invite you. 
if God is dealing in your heart, whether it's where you're sitting or here at the front or praying with me, I, I want to encourage you to say, God, here's my heart. It's yours. God, here's my mind and my life. It's yours. It is not mine, but it's yours. Do with it as you would this morning. Would you respond to that invitation as we sing?